Hey, we say it every week that we believe that Jesus, come on, he's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, we believe that if you'll invite Jesus to be a part of your journey, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. How many people already know that's true? Come on, can we give God some praise for grace and mercy? Well, hey, listen, uh, in popular culture, in society, um, sidekicks are a big deal. Sidekicks are a big deal. I'm going to throw out some names, and if you happen to know the sidekick of the person I mentioned, just shout out that name, all of our locations. I started out really easy. Everybody knows the sidekick to this man right here, Batman. Oh, boy, y'all come to play. Okay. Some of you got some money on this or something. Here's one. I'm going to go back a little old school. Andy Taylor. Barney Five. Okay, we got some black and white watchers. Like, everybody just don't watch in color TV. Got to go back to the 60s. Here we go right here. What about Han Solo? Chewbacca, Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson. Some of you getting a little rusty right there. Here's one right here, Woody, Buzz. You got a friend in me. Now, this is a little old school, but it's coming back summer 2022. You got to get on the train. Come on, Maverick, Goose. Yeah, there we go. First service, they were clueless. Y'all are in the game here. Michael Jordan, he couldn't do it without him. Tom Brady. Gronkowski, man. Here's one, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant. Now, here's what I want you to think about is, again, sidekicks are so powerful and potential. Think about each of these individuals, not just in popular culture, in science fiction, but in reality, a lot of these players and a lot of these people would have never reached their potential if it wasn't for their sidekick. I saved the best for last in my estimation. Many of you know that I'm a basketball fan, not a big Lakers fan until LeBron joined them, whatever. But Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant are two of the greatest players to ever play the game. For sure, future Hall of Famers, both of them. Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, the big diesel, Superman. He's just absolutely a behemoth that was unstoppable in the paint. And then you had on the outside really someone who was Jordan-esque, someone who could handle the ball, someone who could shoot, someone who had ice in their veins, Kobe Bryant. They played together, Showtime Lakers, in the early 90s, and they won three or uh, in the early 2003, back-to-back-to-back championships in 2000, 2001, and 2002. What some of you may know who maybe are basketball fans, there has started to be some animosity and some tension build between Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. In fact, before it ever really came on the radar, as far as the public was concerned, their very first year together, they started to have some contention and some falling out, some jealousy, and they eventually... Uh, went their separate ways. Shaquille O'Neal, because of the tension, they had to decide both of us can't stay here. So Shaquille O'Neal ended up going to the Miami Heat and winning another championship. Kobe stayed and won two more championships. But these two incredible players, while they won three together, here was the question that people have asked throughout the time is, how many championships could they have won together had they worked out their differences, had they resolved their conflict, had they continued to play together? What heights could they have achieved had they worked through it and continue to play. Now, people say maybe five, six, seven champions. Potentially a 10-championship dynasty was in the waiting. But they allowed conflict to get in the way. And we're in the middle of this series talking about our relationships. And here's what you need to know is relationships, all of them, have this incredible potential for progress, for us to move forward in who we are. And they also have considerable potential for pain, for heartache, for hurt. And so in this series, we started last week. The title of this series is Love, Fight, Win. Let's say that together. Love, fight, win. Love enough to fight. Care enough about your relationships to get in there and fight for them. Fight enough to win. Don't give up until you won that relationship back. 
And when, what does it mean to have a win in our relationships? What does it really look like? Sometimes our expectations are too high, which a lot of us, that's why we live in disappointment. But I think if we set the metric appropriately, what is a winning relationship? What is a winning marriage? What's a winning friendship look like? I think we can love, fight, and win to have the relationships that God wants us to have. Now, last week, we introduced this verse. We've talked about every time I do a series on relationships, I bring up this verse. And it's this idea that God wants you and I is you can have success in a lot of arenas. You can be successful in your finances. You can be successful in your career. You can be successful even in your relationship with God. But if we miss the component of relationships, we're in a deficit and we're not living the life that God has for us. We know this because in a perfect paradise, in a perfect setting where everything was just right, God looked at Adam, the first man that he made, and had no relationship but with God. And God said this, Genesis chapter 2, let's read it together. It is, come on, let's say those two words. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, that's not just for Adam. That's for you, and that's for me. This isn't just about marriage. Some of us aren't called to marriage. It just means we have to have strong friendships in our life. And even if you are married, you still need to have strong friendships in your life. The relationships we have with family. What I know is this, unfortunately, we talked about last week, um, love enough to fight. We live in a cancel culture. We live in a divorce society that we just give up too easy. And while that's the way the world does it, what you need to know, what we talked about last week, is that love never quits. I'm thankful that God doesn't quit on me when I fall short, when I make mistakes, and when I run away. Is anybody here thankful for a God who pursues us and doesn't give up? What we found out last week is we're called to that same level of love. And so we're called to fight Uh, We're called to love enough to fight for our relationships. We said it this way, that real love kicks in when conflict begins. It's easy to love people when you get along with them. It's easy to love your spouse when they're treating you the way you think you should be treated, when they're romantic. It's easy to love your friends when they're doing everything the way you want it to be done. But what do you do when your friend or your family member or your spouse betrays you, dishonors you, hurts you? What did God do when we betrayed him? When we hurt him and we dishonored him, he sent his son Jesus to reconcile that relationship. He pursued us, and people who have been pursued should pursue. People who've been reconciled should reconcile. So come on, y'all. We got to get back to this place where we're willing to fight for our relationships. We're willing to love enough that we don't give up. Now, I get asked this question almost every time I talk about relationships, and it's, it's a tough conversation to have. Here's the question. I got probably four of, these, four of these questions. I got two emails, two private messages last Sunday, and here was the question. Pastor, do you ever give up on a relationship? Like you stood on the platform and you said, like, never quit. And I just want to say this. I think there are times it's appropriate to quit on a relationship. I think there are some relationships that are unhealthy, that really don't push us forward, that are causing us more pain than necessary, and I think we need to get away from them. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2. Listen to this. Everybody, let's read this. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For had they belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them really belonged to us. What I'm telling you is sometimes you'll have relationship, friendship, connection with somebody, and their values are so different than you. They've gone through a season change, or you have, and they no longer connect with you. And if they leave you, bye-bye, they never really belong to you. Sometimes it's more healthy for you to disconnect with somebody who's not healthy for you than to try to fight for that relationship. Listen, now I'm going to say this because I'm not for divorce. God is not for divorce. His word says he hates divorce, but let me just say this, every relationship, including marriage, if you have somebody in your life who is consistently and significantly unhealthy for you physically, emotionally, or spiritually, 
you need to terminate that relationship. That's all I'm going to say about that. Listen to this. Um, in this week, I want to jump into this idea again of fight to win. Everybody say fight to win. Fight enough to win. If you're in a relationship, if your, your marriage, your relationship with siblings, how many of us in this room, how many of us online, Lawrence Burry Shoals, how many of us right now in relationships that are torn, that we're wrestling with, that are disconnected? But here's a question I want you all really to think about. What would you do? What would you do? How hard would you fight if someone tried to abduct one of your loved ones from you? Now imagine you, you pulled into Target parking lot because that's where we go. And we roll up into a spot, and as soon as we pull up, this black van pulls out. Two guys in face masks jump out and immediately try to abduct your spouse. And some of you have a grin on your face. This is going the wrong direction. Somebody like. <laughs> Imagine, for real, if somebody, somebody tries to grab your spouse, your child out of the car, your best friend, what would you do? There's nobody at any of our campuses that would sit here and just let it happen. If someone tried to take my wife, if someone tried to take one of my daughters, if someone tried to take one of my friends, you better believe I would fight tooth and nail with every ounce of energy, with blood, sweat, and tears. I would do everything it takes. I know where you are. I will find you, and I will kill you. Come on, how people know what I'm talking about? But listen, while it's, it's so easy, oh, yeah, 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 we, I, I would fight. Well, well, why is it when conflict comes in? We don't fight that. We're fighting a spiritual enemy that's trying to rob our, our loved ones from us. We're fighting bad attitudes, and we're fighting issues. We're fight, fighting heart, heart, heart stuff, and we're fighting all these deals, and we're not fighting back. So while we'll, we will fight somebody who physically shows up, we won't fight somebody who emotionally shows up or spiritually shows up and try to rob us of that relationship. Fight to win. Everybody say fight to win. What does it look like to really fight to win? What does it look like to fight to win? Several years ago, um, many of you guys know Pastor C.J. Johnson. Pastor C.J. has been here in our pulpit several times. Very personal, dear friend of mine. We've known each other for about 10 years. And we went through uh, grad school together. And going through grad school together, four times a year, we would have to go on campus for a week. And there's about 40 students, many of them pastors, leaders, and we would sit in the room, and because it's a graduate program, it's not undergrad. When you're undergrad, you just sit there and listen to the lecture and take notes and try to memorize notes. Above that, grad, grad school is a little different. They want you to engage with the content. They want you to push back. They don't want you to have conversations. And while we're there at school, we're in class about 8 to 10 hours a day. Well, I just can't sit there and listen to somebody lecture for 8 to 10 hours, and so I'm pretty aggressively engaged. Again, 30 or 40 people in the room. Pastor CJ, if you don't know him, he's pretty verbal. Literally, he probably did 50% of the talking in the room. I did about 25% of the talking in the room, and literally the other 38 students did the other 25%, which means we were constantly engaging. It's just how we rolled. It's just what we did. However, one of the last classes we were in together, I'll never forget this. While the conversation's going on, I made a comment, and as soon as I made a comment, Pastor CJ sitting beside me made a comment kind of contrary to what I said. And if you don't know Pastor CJ, he'll gaslight you as much as you let him. And so he was just trying to gaslight me, and he didn't really bait me, but I kind of chimed back in, and we had this light banter in the classroom right in front of the professor. We're friends. It was okay. However, at the end of the class, he came up and made kind of a remark about something he said, and if you know anything about me, I'm not going to lose an argument. So I immediately chimed back. This is a good friend, a very good friend of mine. We're kind of well. We both pastor large churches, so we're well-respected in the room. And we start having this conversation, and this conversation goes from a conversation to a debate to an argument to, atta to an attack. 
And I'm just telling you, at this point, there's like 30 people standing around watching this engagement happen. Nobody's saying a word. Like some people are like, do we need to call campus security? Like what's, and the harder he pushed, the harder I pushed back. And the harder I pushed, the harder he pushed back. And I'm just telling you, it got ugly. And when it got done, we walked out of that room and I thought immediately, I want to fight, but I think I just lost a friend. And I went back to my hotel room and we were actually supposed to go out to dinner that night and like I was done. I didn't want to spend time with this cat and he probably didn't want to spend time with me. And I'm just telling you, like I was heated. My blood pressure was high. It was just, it just went off the rails. About two hours later, I get a knock on my room. And Pastor CJ showed up and he's standing at the door and like the music's playing in the background. I'm sorry. So sorry. And like he came in and we just had a heart to heart. I mean, we're in a hotel room, so we're sitting on the bed. Nobody get weird. And uh, just two friends and we're just talking. And um, man, we just kind of hashed out our differences. And I had to work through some stuff that wasn't him. It was me. And as we worked through it and we apologized and he said this when it was over, he said, I think we just had our real first fight and we survived. (laughs) Here's what I want to tell you. is like, this is a personal friend of mine. We call each other and love each other. We've traveled together. Our, our, and I'm just telling you, if I'm not careful, I would have allowed my pride and my arrogance and my attitude to compromise a significant relationship in my life. I'm just telling you, at some point, we got to fight to win. If you're listening, you're taking notes. To fight to win, first you have to fight within. Sometimes it's not the other person. Sometimes it's not their issues. Sometimes it's not their attitude. Sometimes it's not what they said. Listen, it doesn't matter how how unhealthy the other person is, a relationship can never be healthy unless you're healthy first. What I want to talk about today in our relationships and fight to win, I'm saying we got to fight within. We got to deal with our stuff. We got to deal with our baggage. We got to deal with our issues. Come on, is anybody with me? Anybody here got some stuff in their heart we got to wrestle through? So we got to fight within. I want to navigate a conversation that Jesus had. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And I, I just want you to know as I read this today, Lawrence Burke Scholes, this is going to sound like I'm not having a conversation about relationship. What I want you to do is I just want you to hang on and I want you to watch where Jesus, the master teacher, takes this conversation. And he makes this subject very much about the relationships that you and I have. And I just want to be clear one more time. It's not good for you to be alone. Some of us are allowing conflict that we're in to keep us from relationships we should be in. And we have to find a way to fight through that. Whether it's your spouse, maybe it's your sister or your brother, maybe it's a lifelong friend. Maybe you're here and you're waiting for divorce papers to show up or you're waiting to send some divorce papers. Maybe you got unfriended, maybe you're about to unfriend. Maybe it's a brother, a sister, a sibling that you've not talked to in five years and you can't even remember why. Or maybe you can remember every detail of why. At the end of the day, you have one of the most valued resources that God gives us in its relationship. And if you don't fight for your marriage, and if you don't fight for your friendships, if you don't fight for your family, who's gonna do it? Here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter five, verse 21 and 22. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told You must not murder. Stop. Jesus is Jewish. He's talking to a Jewish audience. The entire Jewish audience grew up knowing the law, the Old Testament, specifically the five books of the Bible, 
for us in a more narrow conversation, the Ten Commandments. They all knew the Ten Commandments. Don't take God's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Like they knew these. This was what they lived by. And Jesus said, you grew up hearing this over and over again. You must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. I'll just let that soak for a minute. See, we like the Jesus who tells us he loves us and we're good. And you got to take all of Jesus or none of Jesus. And he has some things we all want to hear. And then he says things like this that we don't want to hear, but they're just as much truth as the grace and mercy conversations. And here's what you need to know is Jesus, as he has this conversation, as he does many times in the New Testament, he'll say things like this. He'll say, you heard this, but I say that. Or you heard that, but I say this. And it was a way of Jesus taking the law that people were familiar with and making it really mean something, making it applicable. And what would happen in the society Jesus grew up, especially religious people like you and I, is we were really good at living it externally but not internally. We had it all figured out that we tricked people around us to make us think we were living it out, but we had issues in our heart. And what Jesus is saying is it really doesn't matter what you're doing on the outside. It's the heart that matters. And so they were thinking like, hey, I've never murdered anybody, so I must, I must be good. And Jesus is like, well, maybe you've never technically murdered anybody, but you got some heart issues. I don't know if anybody else has this with their kids. I think this is just a dad thing. Where's my, where are my dads at? Lawrenceburg, Florence, where anybody here where you like to get on your kids' nerves? Wave at me like it's your job to. The Bible says don't tempt them to wrath, but it's your favorite part of being a dad. And not just them, but any of your kids get on your nerves, wave at me. You're like your sons, they just, my son and I, we have this thing, and I hate it when he does it to me, but he does it anyways, and he hates when I do it to him, but I do it anyways. Anybody else do this with your sons? I mean, girls, you might do it, but probably not. Where, or they do this to you, like you're sitting there, and he'll walk up, and he'll start messing with me, and I'll say, you better quit touching me. And he'll kind of keep touching me, and then he knows I'm not joking. Hey, you better stop touching me. But then he does this. He'll put his finger real close to me, and I'll say, you better not touch me. He's like, I'm not touching you. You bet. And he'll, he'll get his face. Anybody else with me? He will get his, cl- like there's like a molecule between his finger and my face. But he's like, I'm not touching you. This is what Jesus is addressing. Did he touch me? Technically, no. But it's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. And what Jesus is saying, and I I want you to hear these two words. Two words I'm going to give you, escalation and accountability. Everybody say those two words, escalation and accountability. What Jesus is saying is it's not just did you cross the line of murder. At some point, you start somewhere, and it escalates out of control. The conversation that Pastor CJ and I had, it started as a conversation. It escalated to a debate. It went on to... Uh, argument, and it escalated to an attack. Like it started somewhere, and it went very to a very unhealthy place. And we looked at this place, and I could say, but I didn't kill CJ. Jesus, we're good, right? He's saying, no, you, you have to guard against escalation in your relationship. Notice the conversation. He says, it's, it's not just did you cross the line. Did you just violate the letter of the law? Notice the three phases of escalation. He says, you start with anger. And then you go to an attitude, and then you go on attack. You go from anger in your heart to calling someone an idiot to cursing them. 
and it's escalation. And at what point are you out of the wrong? I'm not going to share the story today, but some of us have been victims of, some of us are the catalyst of, a lot of us see on regular news conversations, road rage happen. It's crazy to think, like, I don't, is anybody else with me? When, when You can have a great day. You can have music on in the background. Like, your song comes on. You start like, hey, and like, it's a great day. You got a raise. You're on your way to a good job. Your wife kissed you on the way out the door, and some fool pulls, pulls in front of you, and all of a sudden your day's wrecked because you get a little angry. Anybody get mad at crazy drivers? Anybody go to the next level and maybe beep at them? I'm just going to tell you, if I ever beep at you, Southerners, y'all are way... It's a northern thing to beep. I have realized I beep at people, and I'm like, I think I'm the only people that beep. <laughs> I'm the only person. But, like, I don't, I don't beep a lot, but I do this thing. It's just my where if somebody does something I don't think they should be doing because, of course, I'm the standard of what should be done on the roadways like you are, <laughs> is I don't say anything to them, but if, we, if I get beside them on the expressway or if we get up to a red light, I just look at them. Like, I don't say anything. I just want you to know I know that you shouldn't do that. Anybody with me? Now, watch. Now, what's crazy is some of us don't stop there. Some of us, we actually roll our windows down. We yell at people. We follow people. Not, not, not you, first service people. Not, not, not Florence people, Lawrenceburg people. We, put, we chase them in the subdivisions, and we make sure we follow them home, and we make sure we give our opinion. God forbid this happens all the time where somebody chases somebody down, and someone pulls out a gun and threatens somebody. People have been killed for road rage. Well, it didn't start with road rage. It started with anger, and it escalated to attitude and it escalated to yelling at somebody and it escalated and it escalated and what God is saying is stop setting the bars well I didn't murder him he says you got to pull the bar back and allow stop allowing the snowball of escalation to rob you of relationships I know they hurt you I know they've offended you I have been hurt and I have been offended and I have hurt people and I have offended people. And if we allow those things to rob us of a precious resource called relationship, we will be in a place where it's not good for you to be alone. And I just came today to tell you somebody's got to fight for what matters and allow ourselves to get past that place where we escalate ourselves out of relationship. You won't like this part because I didn't like it when I read it. The other word I gave you was accountability. Everybody say accountability. Notice what Jesus says. He says, if you, if you kill somebody, you, you're going to prison, right? But he says, let's, let's talk my language. In his culture, he says, if you just get angry, you're in subject of judgment. But again, if you call someone an idiot, in his culture, you would stand before the elders of the community. You would give an account for your words. But he goes one step further than just giving an account to government. He says, you will give an account to God. And the reason I bring that up is because for many of us in this room, we have this unhealthy separation. We compartmentalize our relationship with God and our relationship with people. In our relationship with people, our marriage can be on the rocks. We can be disconnected, disconnected from siblings. We can, be, we can be torn apart from significant friendships and relationships. And we're like, but, but Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. And we're going to get into this, but I just want you to just sense that Jesus is pumping the brakes. And whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you think you can be good here and not be good here, just, whoa, hold on. And then he says this really challenging statement. If you continue to ride relationships into the ground and not, and not really bother you. He says, if you can curse somebody and it not really bother you, you're in dangers of hellfire. 
And I'll tell you why he says that, but watch the next part of this conversation. If you're taking notes, our biggest fight sometimes isn't with them, it's within. Sometimes our biggest struggle, it's, it's not with them, it's within. Fight you first. Let's deal with our stuff first. Because here's what I know is I'm not going to stand and give an account for my son or my daughters or my wife or my friends. I'm going to stand and give an account for me. And so if I've done all I can to save, rescue, and redeem the relationships that I have that are broken, I can stand before God with a clear conscience here and say, well done, you did what I called you to do. So my challenge is for you to do your part in your relationships. Jesus goes on, he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and verse 24. Same conversation, same conversation. Everybody read it with me. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Notice what he says. Like, in context for his audience, he's talking to Jewish people who are used to going to the community synagogue and offering sacrifices for the atonement of their sin. Is anybody thankful that Jesus is the final sacrifice for all sin, for all time? Come on, is anybody thankful for that? Come on, Jesus died for all of our sin forever. That is incredibly great news. But he says, imagine in their culture, somebody is on their way to church. They got their sacrifice. They get their, they're like in the middle of laying down a sacrifice. For us, it would be living our life for Jesus. Maybe a specific context is you're in church. You're in the middle of a worship service, hands raised, gyra, tears streaming down your face. You are good. He says, in the middle of your moment with God, like that. I'm going to take that as an early amen. For any, any tongue talkers, the interpretation of that was go ahead and preach, Pastor. That's what that was. All the Baptist people got nervous because I said tongues. So he's saying, imagine you're in the middle of this magical moment with you and God and you know Jesus loves you and you know he's your savior and all of your faith is in him. He said, and you have this moment which you should have moments where God speaks to you. He says, you suddenly remember that, some, that you don't have issues with them. Somebody has issues with you. He said, and you just ignore that? No. He says, you need to go to them. What he's saying is that we have to stop having this disconnect between our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. Those two relationships are, are, are integral. They're connected to each other, which means if you have animosity, tension, and conflict this way, you will have animosity, conflict, and tension this way. And you're like, but pastor, didn't Jesus die for us? Doesn't God love us? Yes, yes, yes. But those two things are connected. We talked about it last week. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, love God and love others. The first is equal to the second. Jesus said this, how people are going to know that we're his disciples, isn't that we love God, isn't that you're great singers, is that you love your neighbor, it's that you love each other. And so love is the hallmark. And what he's saying is, I don't know about you, but when I show up and I'm worshiping God, it's because I don't deserve his love, but he loved me anyways. I made some mistakes this week, but he loves me anyways. I didn't serve him for the first half of my life, but he loved me anyways. Come on, is anybody thankful for the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God? And he's saying, listen, during our worship, 
a lot of our focus is the goodness and mercy of God, his grace in our life. And he's saying, how can you really worship me? Because you don't even understand what it is. Because if you understood it, you didn't deserve it, but I gave it to you. And if you really understood that you are a receiver of it, you should be a conduit of it. That not only do you deserve it, but other people around you deserve it. And if you're not willing to pass on what I gave you, maybe you didn't get it in the first place. It's not a threat. It's just a conversation. If I look at my life and really believe that I'm broken, that I need a Savior, that I need forgiveness, newsflash, you're not perfect, and neither is the people you're in relationship with. You need grace as much as they do, and they need grace as much as you do. So he says, in the middle of your worship moment, it doesn't matter if if all the external stuff, come on, his conversation is this is an issue of the heart. So I know you showed up early and you served, you're a greeter, and you got your blue thing going on. He says, I know you got your kid shirt on and you're back holding babies and some. You put some fat stacks in the offering. He's like, that's all the external stuff. He says, but listen, if you can give your money and hand, hold a door and, and, and hold a baby, but you not, you've not resolved the conflict of relationship in your life, he says, listen, you're ignoring the bigger things that matter. You're crossing the line, but you're excusing yourself because I didn't kill anybody, but your relationships are dying around you, and all you can think about is this one, but these matter as much as this. And if you get this right, it will impact these. James 3.9 is a pretty crazy conversation. He's having a conversation about our tongue, and he says this. He says, he says, how, and he says isn't it crazy how he, the same tongue can curse God or can bless God but, but curses those who are in the image of God? He's like, that shouldn't be. And when I say, and again, I, I just want you to wrestle through this, just the reality that, that if these are not right, I'm just telling you, it hinders these. 1 Peter 3.9 says, men, husbands, if you're not honoring your wife, it can hinder your prayers. You're like, what's, what's the connection? The common denominator is love. And if you understand your need for love, you will appropriately dispense love. If you understand your need for grace, you will give grace. And at some point, as your pastor, I just stop tapping out. Stop walking away. Stop allowing the exception to be the excuse. Friends are too valuable. Life is too short. Marriages are too important. Your brothers and sisters, you grew up with them. They're not perfect, but neither are you. And at some point, we got to double down. We got to dive in. And if I have been impacted by grace, God, help me to pass it on. If my heart has been changed, Lord, help me to put it into the relationships around me. At some point, we got to get back to the place where we fight to win. Everybody shout, fight to win. I want to give you two more words real quick. I gave you two already, escalation and accountability. Two more I want you to write down, humility and urgency. Humility and urgency. Notice what Jesus says. He says, in that moment where you're in the middle of a worship service with God, where, man, you're sensing his presence, but you know the way some of you know right now. Throughout this message, you have people immediately, some of you, on your mind of who you're disconnected with. He said, in that moment, stop what you're doing and go be reconciled. The word reconciled is really interesting. It means to change your mind thoroughly. So if you don't like them, you don't agree with them, he says, go and allow the way you think about that person to be changed completely, upside down. Now, when I was thinking about this, I don't know if anybody else agrees with me, but anybody I've ever cursed, anybody ever called an idiot, they were an idiot. (laughs) If I cursed them, I felt like they deserved it. 
And Jesus makes it clear. He says, hey, as you allow that to escalate, you're going to be justified. You're going to feel like they deserve it. They did do that. Pastor, if you knew what they did, if you knew what they said, if you knew how they treated me, you would feel the same way. Just because I would agree with how you feel doesn't mean I agree that's how you should feel. It's not that I'm invalidating your feelings. What I'm saying is work through them and fight for the relationship. Yeah, you're hurt. So was I. And the way Jesus challenges us to do it is through urgency and humility. Notice what he says. He says, in the middle of the worship service, go right then. A lot of us are procrastinators and we keep kicking the ball down the path. I'll call them later. I'll do it later. Do it now. My challenge is if you're disconnected from somebody, if you are having issues in your home, issues with your kids, start a conversation today, urgency. And it's going to take some humility. I love what Jesus said. Not because I like it, but it's true. Again, notice he doesn't say if you have an issue with the person. He says if, if they have an issue with you, which we're like, well, if, if they got an issue with me, then let them come to me. Jesus is like, no, no, if you're aware of the issue, you go to them. Well, that's going to take all kinds of humility. And when you go to them, I had a mom. I don't know if anybody else had a mom like this. My mom thought she was smart. You can manipulate restoration and relationships. And when we were kids, if we were getting a fight, I had two older brothers. And if we would get in a fight, my mom would do this. Hey, you can come out of timeout or you can come out of your room, but you got to go to your brother and you got to tell him you're sorry and you got to hug him. How bad do I want to come out of my room? And so we'd go like, mom said, I got to hug you and tell you I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if you tell her I hugged you, I'll tell her you hugged me. And then we go, did you tell your brother you're sorry and you hug him? Yeah, sorry. That's not sorry. Just because you say the words, it's an issue of the heart. I got a relationship that's valuable to me, that's keeping me from maximizing my potential as a person. God brought this person to my life. I loved them once. I know they hurt me. I know they abandoned me. I know they did something I didn't agree with, but I need to restore that relationship. Will you forgive me? Can we work through this? Can we get to the other side? It's going to take real humility to do that. But at some point, see, I know the world don't agree with this conversation. At some point, we got to stop allowing the term Christianity to be a label and start making it a lifestyle. It's not what we talk about. It's what we do. God approached us. God pursued us. So we need to do it for people around us. At the end of first service, I asked him if I could share this story. I told him I wouldn't tell him who it was. A guy sat down, tears in his eyes, and he said, Pastor, can I tell you a story? He said, it's kind of long. And I said, was it good? He said, yeah. I said, well, go ahead. He said, everything you talked about today, he said, I've already lived through. About a year ago, him and his family started coming to faith, and God has done such an incredible work. They both have given their lives to Jesus, and they're serving in ministry here. I mean, it's just incredible to watch God move. He said in the middle of that, he said about five years ago, he had a falling out with an uncle. So much of a falling out that his uncle pulled a gun on him and tried to kill him. His words, not mine. He said his uncle lives right across the street from him. And he said, man, there's no way. They were talking to each other. Just like they would just ignore each other. Absolute break in relationship. He said then about a year ago, they came to church and he said he gave his life to Jesus. He said one day he's out mowing his lawn. He sees his uncle come out the front door. He said immediately the Lord said, I want you to go into the house. And he said he went in the house, started reading his Bible. He said the Lord spoke to him. You need to go over right now and make things right. And he said he walked out front. He said his uncle happened to be in the front yard. He said, hey, hey, can I come over and talk to you? He said, he said his uncle said, sure. He said, right there, I was already, he said, I was shocked my uncle said to come over. 
He said, we went into his house and he said, I just told him how sorry I am that our relationship was where it was at. Would he forgive me? I thought, he's the one that pulled a gun on you. But see, he was taking responsibility for his part. He said his uncle broke down crying. He said, what you don't know is, he said, I've carried this. He said, just today, he said, I had a gun to my head ready to take my life. And God not only restored that relationship, but just not too long ago, a pastor went to this man's house and he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus and he's been saved. Wait, he also had a broken relationship with another family who lived down the road, a daughter-in-law. He went and made that relationship right. So I'm just saying one person's obedience not only did what honored God, but God restored that relationship. That man got his relationship restored this way and he restored another one this way. What would happen, what would happen if we started escalating? What would happen if we started de-escalating? So I just want you to set a new standard. God wants us to set a... I'm going to say one more thing. I'm in the middle of this right now, and this isn't easy even preaching this. I'm like, Lord, I'm a hypocrite right now. So I want you to know I'm dealing with my own stuff. But I'm going to tell you what, there is no question in my mind what the Lord wants me to do. The only question is if I'm going to do it. And I hope every one of you in this house, I hope everyone in Lawrenceburg, everyone in Shoals, I hope you're clear what Jesus expects you to do. Whether you do it or not, it's up to you. I pray that all of us would just grow stronger and closer, that we could have all that God wants us to have. And so, Father, I love you, Lord. Thank you for the clear example of sacrifice you've given us. God, the, the clarion call of a standard you've asked us all to follow. And, Lord, why it's hard, I pray in Jesus' name that, God, we will, we will crucify our desires and our attitudes, God, our unhealthy actions. And, Lord, I pray, Father, blessing upon marriages in this house. I pray, Lord, that you will give husbands, God, the character and the integrity to love their wives the same way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you will bless wives with a, God, with a heart for their husbands that's renewed. I pray, Father, siblings that are separated, Lord, restore them. Friendships that are, that are broken and shattered, renew them. Lord, I pray, God, a newfound love would just impact every heart and every home that our relationships would get stronger. I pray, God, the ones that may not be it may not be stressed today. I pray, God, when the battle comes, we will know we can turn to you. We're not in the fight alone. So, Lord, peace, strength, joy, and restoration over every relationship, every marriage. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen.